welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Tay Sequemic territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequepgulu. And today's text, Derby Girl slash Whip It, mm-hmm. will explain, takes place <laughs> in the fictional town of Bodine, Texas, which is pretty close to the real city of Austin, the traditional home of the Yumanos, Tonkawa, Lepin Apache, Coahitican, and Comanche peoples. Hmm. I feel like there's a couple there that we haven't touched on before, even though I could have sworn we've done a text that was set in Austin. Yeah, I was trying to think about that too, because I was relearning the pronunciations and they felt new to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm not sure. Or maybe maybe nativeland.ca, which we should probably mention is the resource we use. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's been updated recently. Who knows? Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we're talking about Derby Girl, which is the name of the book, and then it kind of got a facelift when the adaptation came out, and so I feel like most people probably know this as Whip It, right? Yes, and it was republished under the name Whip It. I made sure that I read the version that was called Derby Girl, just in case there had been any changes, Um, but I think it was just a just a relabeling to tie it in with the film. Um, Yeah, so this is a book by uh, Shauna Cross. And as most people probably know from familiarity with the film, it's set in the world of Texas roller derby. Yeah, I love this topic. I think it's such a dynamic and very on point sport for YA. Like it just feels very in our wheelhouse. Yeah, it's, you know... Roller Derby is a world of this interesting clash between like female empowerment and the yes. idea that you can like get hurt and get messy and <laughs> yes. be still be a girl mm-hmm. with like frankly a pretty significant like sexualization component, right? One thing that right. I think the film does really well is talk about how like the fan base is not all people who are like super into female empowerment, right? Mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm. just a lot of skeezy dudes. And so as a YA setting, it's great because all those tensions are like already inbuilt into it. And it's just a lot of fun. Yes. Oh, it's so much fun. And I will say one of the things that I think Shauna Cross does reasonably well in the book, but when she's adapting her own material and then we've got Drew Barrymore behind the camera for the film, the sport itself is so dynamic. Yes. It really provides a certain something extra in terms of making this sport just come to life. Like it really pops on screen. It's lively. It's exciting. It lends itself to a really bitchin' soundtrack. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, the soundtrack. There's (laughs) apparently something like 56 songs on this soundtrack. (laughs) It's wild. And it is, it's just really fun to inhabit a world. And, you know, we've talked about this on the show before, like a world we don't have access to. There's Uh definitely roller derby here in Canada in different Mm -hmm. aspects. But like, there's something about A, the early 2000s roller derby, and Mm -hmm. B, roller derby in a place like Austin, or maybe Portland, that like, takes it to the next level, right? And it's really fun to immerse yourself in that world for a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So, okay, Brenna, what is Derby Girl? And folks, we should make a quick clarification. There's a lot of books and films and TV shows out there that have some kind of derivation on this. So just make sure if you end up listening to this and then choosing to read along, uh, it is just Derby Girl, not Derby Girls, not Derby's Girl, anything like that. Yeah, if you Google Derby Girl, the first thing Google is like is like, did you want Dairy Girls? And I'm like, yes. no, we don't. I, I mean, mean, I do. As delightful but as not that right show now. is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so Derby Girl is a novel published in 2007 by Shauna Cross. And it's all about our protagonist, Bliss Cavender. Bliss is growing up in rural Texas in a tiny and, as we already said, fictional town called Bodine, which is like you know, not a lot of opportunities and not a lot of different ways of being in the world. I do love this idea of a town that is known principally for one export and or industry. (laughs) So in the case of Bodine, it's they have an ice cream factory. And that's what everybody knows them for. Blue bonnet ice cream. So people come in by the busload to do the ice cream factory tour and then leave. And the other thing they have a lot of in Bodine, Texas, is beauty pageants. Of course. And that's the world that Bliss is sort of trapped in. Her mom is a former pageant queen. Her younger sister is an up-and-coming pageant queen. And so although Bliss doesn't enjoy the beauty pageant circuit particularly, it's really the only thing that the family does together. Mm-hmm. At the same time, Bliss feels like an outcast at school where she doesn't fit in with the other pageant queens who go to school or with the football players, which are basically sort of the boy and girl options for popularity in this town. Oh, yes. Very binary gendered roles, right? Yeah. So she feels really isolated. She has basically one friend, her friend Pash, and she and Pash work together at a, like a barbecue joint (laughs) and it sounds not great and they plot their way out of town which is basically they both work on getting good grades pash needs a scholarship and is really competitive for one um bliss kind of gets good grades when she focuses but doesn't always focus and Mm -hmm. the two of them are sort of united in their outcast status until bliss discovers the world of roller derby and is apparently amazing at it, like, Mm -hmm. becomes the best roller derbier ever. (laughs) (laughs) She's very fast, yes. And so then we have the competing traditional YA plots of um, Bliss finds a boy who Mm -hmm. thinks she's a lot older than she is, and also Bliss and Pash fall out as Pash starts to feel left behind. But Mm -hmm. in the end, everything is resolved in a really big beauty pageant uh, sort of takedown scene and then a major roller derby bout and bliss gets her best friend back and realizes the boy is gross and wins at roller derby the end Mm -hmm. yeah we're kind of burying the lead that a lot of this book is about bliss's relationship with her mother who she Mm. feels really doesn't understand her because she is so focused on the beauty pageant she's a former winner she's hyper competitive against uh, a former competitor who also has a teen daughter that is going to be competing in the same year as bliss corvy yeah corby Mm. either way it's not a name no it's a dog (laughs) in any case i i found this relationship intriguing albeit familiar and that was kind of my my general takeaway from derby girl is that 
it's enjoyable for the most part, but it really does feel like we are hitting all of the conventional YA plot points. Definitely. The thing that this book brings to the table that is new is roller derby. And since this book and since Whip It, there's been like a proliferation of things set in and around roller derby. But I -hmm. think this was at least the first one to kind of be big. Right. But yes, the relationships, the dramas, the fights, the conflict, those are all really well-trod territory. And it's not that Shauna Cross doesn't handle them well. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. think there's anything to particularly critique about this book. Not really. But I just found... I found Bliss to be not as engaging a character as I was hoping for because I was familiar with the film. Mm. Just a little bit like, meh. And so as a result, it's a quick read. It's a fun read. I probably would not pick it up again. Right. That's sort of where I left Derby Girl. Okay. Yeah, I was kind of getting shades of Moxie meets Dumplin', but both of those other texts, and admittedly they are later books, so they maybe had the benefit of looking back at what had already been published, but both of those felt like they were doing something a little bit more innovative with a kind of tired premise. Like, Mm -hmm. we had some issues with Moxie in terms of its representation of feminism, and Dumplin' we both quite enjoy, even though it is a bit of a familiar text. Mm -hmm. But Derby Girl just feels safe in some ways like this idea of the outcast who just wants to be punk and kind of anti-corporate and she ends up finding herself in this world but of course she has to lie to get there and it's all about her discovering what is most important and that's ultimately family and friends like it's feel good it is a very fast read like i just basically devoured this in a couple of days Mm -hmm. and there's nothing yeah like you said there's nothing particularly wrong with it But let's talk a little bit about the quote-unquote bliss problem in this book. (laughs) Yeah, I I find her kind of boring. And I think it's just because, you know, Cross is trying to do a really thorough job of showing how how much of an outsider bliss feels like. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we have learned over the years of doing this show is there is a real danger in indulging in that as a writer because it can become one-dimensional so very quickly, right? It's like, what is it about Bliss that is more interesting, let's say, than the pageant girls? Like, until Mm. she takes up roller derby, I could not answer that question for you. And so because she's totally defined by what she's not, and we're just supposed to kind of take it as read that, like beauty pageants are boring and foolish or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not a lot of time spent developing Bliss as an interesting person in and of herself. And right. Yeah, that's I think that ultimately is what doesn't work for me here. Yeah, because I I realized that even when she starts to take up roller derby, it's really not clear to me why she hates Bodine so much apart from the fact that it is a bit of a boring kind of stilted town. Like, I appreciated the fact that geographically they're in such close proximity to austin which has a really vibrant music and sports and you know austin is a blue city in a red state and i think for a lot of people that becomes almost like an attraction right where you can go and there's going to be different types of people that are less um let's say antiquated or less conservative than what you might see in a small town like bodine I feel like there's too much shorthand in the book where it's just mm-hmm. like, like Cross doesn't spend the time to really flesh out 
Nicholas's situation adequately so that we understand why Bodine is such a, a limiting place. It's kind of like, you know the town, you know these people, <laughs> so let's get to the action. And while I appreciate it makes for a faster read, that lack of geography ended up frustrating me because it just made Bliss sometimes seem like a bit of a whiner. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's not... I, I, I don't want to overstate that this is like a problem in the text because it's a perfectly right. enjoyable read. But I do think that we end up with very limited payoff then when Cross tries to make Bliss's mom more complicated in the final pages of the book. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're supposed to, in just a few short pages, understand kind of all of Bliss's mother's motivations right. and her history yes. and why she has pushed her daughter in this direction. And like, it's too, it's too much. It's, it's a too lot. much in yeah. too short a space of time. And it's a disappointment because, as you said, central to this book is that relationship between the mother and daughter. And mm-hmm. so it's almost like... Cross gets to the end of the book and she she has some regrets about the way she has shaped Bliss's mum and she's like trying to resolve them like all at the end. And it's like, oh right. no, we needed to invest in this a little earlier, unfortunately. Yeah. And then there's also the other big conflict is obviously between Bliss and Pash, who feels like she has been left behind as Bliss discovers who she truly is and makes all these new friends and embarks on a sexual relationship with Oliver. And it's again, it's familiar. It's not necessarily bad in the way that it unfolds because, you know, Pash is a bit of a different kind of character than we're used to seeing. You know, she is a person of color. She recognizes that her way out of town is that she has to get good enough grades to get a scholarship to go off to college. And that's all well and fine. But I actually really didn't enjoy the conflict between the two of them because mm. obviously they have a falling out and then they get back together at the end. Maybe what I didn't like is that I feel like both parties are wrong, but at the end of the day, it ends up being up to Bliss to apologize, and Pash never does for basically resenting her friend for having good things happen to her. And I was like, well, this isn't great friendship. No, it's not a great friendship tale. And, you know, we've had a bit of a string of being a bit up and down on the the friendship on the cast lately. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that makes me more sensitive to it. Like... You know, when we've had a string of good friendship stories, I can forgive one where the the female friendship takes the back seat. But it is, yeah, I agree with you. I also think it's telling that, you know, we've talked about these important relationships and we haven't mentioned Oliver except in passing. Like, <laughs> who can care? <laughs> <laughs> he sucks and it's obvious from the beginning and then revelation he sucks so oliver is an indie rock boy who's going on tour with his band in fairness to him why i'm bothering but he thinks bliss is a lot older than she is although he doesn't ask a lot of follow-up questions about why she lives in bodine for example um and yeah he he hooks up with someone else when he's on tour which as joe points out was always going to happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) is entirely predictable you know it's a trope we see over and over again in female-centered YA, which is that yes. the romantic relationship takes center stage, the other relationships end up fracturing around it. And it's not that Shona Cross is doing that badly, it's just that she's also not taking it anywhere particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think the reason that it stood out more in this particular book is because the 
the book is so heavy on female friendships, right? It's mm-hmm. about bliss and pash, but then also bliss's relationship with all of these new girls on the yeah. team because they're all a little bit older because she has lied about her age. So they represent this possible future for Bliss. If she moves Mm -hmm. to Austin, if she becomes a full-time derby girl and, you know, has a boy like Oliver, her life could be so good. But really, all that kind of emphasizes is like, yeah, this, this boring relationship with Oliver, which we know is doomed to fail from the start. And her teammates even say, don't date a guy in a band, which is exactly what she does. And she tries to pretend he's going to be different. And well, it's very much a teenage story. You know, she has to get her heart broken so that she can learn this hard reality. It doesn't feel like it then says, well, maybe your female friendships were more important and you should have listened to them. (laughs) Yeah, no, (laughs) it never gets there. And I think, too, you know, there's a line in the film version, which I'm guessing we're going to transition over to shortly, that isn't in the book. Um, And I wanted the vibe of this in the book, which Mm -hmm. is that one of the women who has taken Bliss under her wing says you don't throw out your old family just because you find a new family. Right. And it's like, we never have the sort of bringing together of the worlds in a satisfying way that kind of gives bliss like a unified personality at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess I think ultimately, as we're talking, I'm getting to my issue with the book, which is okay. that all the worlds feel really fractured, right? Like, yeah. We're told that Pash has a relationship with Bliss's parents, but we never see it. Mm-hmm. Um, the pageant world is separate from her friendship with Pash. Yes. Oliver is separate from the Derby girls. The Derby mm-hmm. girls are separate from her real life. Like, everything is really separate. Which, I mean, if you can accomplish that, congratulations, because that sounds like a much easier life. But I don't know any teenager. Mentalizing What? <laughs> I don't know any teenager who manages to compartmentalize their life when they don't have a driver's license or a car of their own. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And then we're meant to feel a sense of anxiety when the pageant falls on the same day as the derby finals. And you're just like, A, we knew this was coming because (laughs) predictability. But also B... It feels like the book should be driven by relationships, and too often it's actually driven by circumstances that tend to feel convenient as opposed to natural and organic. It's a plot-driven book masquerading as a character-driven book. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well. Okay, so let's talk about (laughs) the more successful of the two. Oh my god, I love the movie so much. I'm sorry that these pageants don't live up to your high moral standards, but there's a lot you can learn from them no matter what you go on to be in life. Out of all the places to go to in the world, who would come to Bodine? So what are you like, alternative now? Alternative to what? What is this? Roller derby? Welcome to skate night at the warehouse. The boys wanna be there. We have an all five. I just want to tell you all that you're my new heroes. Well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. The last time I wore skates, they had Barbies on them. I wanna be her. You said you knew. You could be our mascot. <laughs> 
I'm gonna change my work schedule because I wanna take an SAT class on Tuesdays, Thursdays. I'm impressed. I like smart girls. That's why I married your mama. Well, that and I knocked her up. I'm gonna do the things that I want. Looking good, Barbie. I ain't got a thing to you can make out with him, but that is it. Has anyone ever thrown up on the track before? Yeah. Get ready to meet your newest Hero Scout, Babe Ruthless! This is your SAT class? I am in love with this. I cannot take losing the chance for our kid to be happy. We're number two! We're number two! You came in second out of two teams. Celebrate mediocrity. That's fantastic. Okay, so Whip It comes out a couple years later. It is the directorial debut of one Drew Barrymore. Never heard of her. <laughs> and it is adapted by Shauna Cross. So apparently Cross got some insight from Barrymore on things that she could sort of abandon. And apparently Barrymore... Apparently, one of the pieces that Barrymore encouraged her to consider is getting rid of the things that are tidy and embracing the messy. So that's why the film feels, I think, not just a little bit more dynamic, but also we get rid of some of the more boring sources of conflict. Like the school conflict between Pash and her grades is completely driven away. Like, basically, Mm -hmm. it's almost like Bliss doesn't even go to school in the movie because we don't care about that. No, I agree. I think that as a result, the film feels like the word I keep coming back to in my head is punchier. The film is a heck of a lot Ah. punchier than the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that word. So I'm going to do the cast backwards because we'll address not the elephant in the room, but the thing that has changed since when the film came out. Mm -hmm. So uh, as parents, we have Marcia Gay Harden as Brooke Cavender, Bliss's mom, as well as Daniel Stern as her father, Earl. Fantastic casting. I think they both both do really well with limited screen time. Quick shout out to Ari Grainer, who we last saw in Nick and Nora stealing the show as Mm -hmm. the best friend who plays. It's a bit of a thankless role as just another roller derby girl from another team, but she is a lot of fun in this movie still. Agreed, 100%. So on the Hurl Scouts, which is the roller derby (laughs) team that Bliss joins, I love all of the names. Love them Mm -hmm. to pieces. Mm -hmm. So... Honestly, I didn't know how stacked this was, and I think it would have still been stacked in 2009 when the film came out, but it feels like it has aged quite well. Yeah, you're not kidding. So we have uh, Kirsten Wig as Maggie Mayhem, who is the lead of the team. She's the woman who ends up taking Bliss in when she tries to leave home and start a new life in Austin. We've got Drew Barrymore as Smashy Simpson, the woman who cannot control her rage on the court. We've got stunt woman turned actress Zoe Bell as Bloody Holly, who, I mean, she actually gets to play Australian as she actually is in real life. And she's just kind of a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. We have Eve as Rosa Sparks, who is uh, kind of our, our person of color on the team. I wish she got more to do because yes. I always forget how dynamic Eve is on screen. And then we have Andrew Wilson as Razor, the coach, who gets a lot more screen time. So unfortunately, we lose some of Maggie in the film. Maggie has a far more pronounced role in the book as the kind of teacher, the person who's in charge of a lot of the things on the team. And a lot of that gets shifted to Razor. And 
I didn't even realize that Luke and Owen had an older brother in Andrew, but I actually think that he's very enjoyable in this movie. A hundred percent agree. Yeah, I was like, is that a Wilson Wilson? And mm-hmm. it was. <laughs> yeah, and it is. <laughs> Who knows? Finally, as part of this uh, roller derby sort of environment, we have Jimmy Fallon as Hot Tub Johnny Rocket, who is playing Jimmy Fallon, and he's sexist, and I think people probably find it funny, but I got tired of it real quick. It's it's interesting to see Jimmy Fallon being frankly more himself than his (laughs) late night persona right like jimmy fallon is a problematic hot mess and his character (laughs) is here too and uh there was something weirdly refreshing about not seeing him perform for a late night but it only lasts about 15 minutes (laughs) yeah it it was like oh this is who you really are but also now please go away Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) we're such debbie downers (laughs) uh okay so filling out the cast is landon pig as oliver and he is a real musician so not an actor not an actor (laughs) and i get it you want someone who can actually sing but also this movie needs someone who can act and he ain't it no and also do you need someone who can sing like does it matter do we ever (sighs) actually need to see him perform to get who he is Right? Yeah. Especially because he's been promoted from bass player in the book to lead singer in the film, which I get it. Like, lead singers are often quite attractive. You get to actually hear them croon, and that's part of the, I don't know, pheromones or something. But also, (laughs) yeah, like, dude ain't great. No, no. Mm -mm. All right. Uh, As a character, we haven't actually talked about Dwayne aka Birdman, the recently promoted general manager of the food place that they work at. We have Carlo Albin. Uh, He's fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He is fun. He's easy to watch. He gets off a lot of good one-liners and uh, his sort of emergent chemistry with Pash is funny. Yes, and Pash is played by Aaliyah Shakat from, most people know her from Arrested Development. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, and that leaves us with Bliss. And Wait, before you do Bliss, before you do Bliss, you didn't do Juliette Lewis as Iron Maiden. Oh, shoot, yes. And you're right, thank you. I forgot Juliette Lewis as our final big cast member, and I think that she is amazing in this movie. So she, we haven't talked about this at all, but she's effectively the antagonist. Um, mm-hmm. She's a derby girl on the other team who is really jealous of the fact that bliss is so young and has such a long career ahead of her and is obviously so talented and Mm -hmm. um in the book she's much more villainous than she is in the film but juliette lewis plays it really well but that combination of like disgust and condescension but also jealousy it's Mm -hmm. it's very effective yeah and and it feels somehow more earned like the jealousy around the ageism really resonates well in the film and i think there's a certain level of humanity that juliette lewis brings to the performance well also frankly and i know that this is completely immaterial but i just feel like i have to say it she looks so good in this movie like really ridiculously attractively hot (laughs) totally agree but i think something that I've been thinking about this a lot, why the ageism seems to work better in the film than the book. And I think it's because, you know, in the book, they're all college students, right? right. Like all the Derby girls have are paying tuition. They're in their early 20s. Mm-hmm. In the film, they're all in their 30s. Pretty yes. much all of them. I, sh- I searched them all out. So it, there's much more of a vibe of like, 
this is our last cool thing we have before Mm -hmm. we become middle-aged, right? Like, they're, like, 36, 37. And, you know, as someone who is going to be 39 shortly, like, (laughs) there's Mm -hmm. this certain vibe of, like... This is all we've got. A moment passing you by, and this is all you've got. And then here's this 16-year-old who has a million chances to do a million cool things, and she's Mm going to take it from you, right? Like, the vibe works so much better. Yeah, and that interaction between Iron Maven, who is the Juliette Lewis character, and Bliss, where, where Iron Maven confesses that you know like it took her until she was i think she says 31 or 33 to discover that this was the one thing she's good at i was just like oh that is a really good scene in this movie it is a really good scene and also like everyone i know who's gotten really into derby has been in their 30s like Mm. it doesn't feel like a young woman's sport (laughs) no because the amount of the amount of confidence you need to have in yourself and your body like mm-hmm. i did not have that in my 20s <laughs> no no you're, you'd be too busy trying to look pretty or mm-hmm. attractive to whomever you're trying to attract right whereas this is about oh this is a thing i do for myself and i get off on the attention of the crowd but the reason i do it is because of the camaraderie it's it's the thing right Yeah, it's that thing that happens for a lot of women in their 30s, which is the women who keep them sort of afloat become much more important than Mm. random dudes. Which maybe makes more sense for this story too, right? Because it is obviously still all about female friendship, but it's that that thing, right? They have come together around a sport that for a large part of the film, they don't actually take all that seriously. Yeah. But it is the thing that they do that keeps them united and keeps them coming back like you can tell that derby is a hugely important part of who they are and that fills the kind of shallowness of a lot of these characters in addition to the star power because at the end of the day we know basically nothing about these women except for the fact that they are driven to skate yeah yeah i love it i love it (laughs) okay okay yeah, so we, we've gone for so long without actually mentioning the freaking star of this movie. And part of the reason is because, obviously, Elliot Page is different than what we see on screen. And we wanted to take a, a moment to address this because we, I don't think, have ever had to address this, Brenna. No, we haven't. And, you know, Joe and I, we make a conscious effort to be messy in public. And we've been talking about what the most sensible way to discuss the film will be right Mm -hmm. so we've kind of landed on that when we talk about elliot page the actor we will use elliot's pronouns he him but when we talk about bliss cavender or babe ruthless the character we will use bliss's pronouns which are she her Mm -hmm. yeah and it's an interesting opportunity because I realized I hadn't actually seen Elliot in anything since he publicly came out and transitioned. Like I've been watching the Umbrella Academy on Netflix. We have a previous episode on it, mm-hmm. but we hadn't had the opportunity to really address the fact that he has embraced his authentic self. But it does present a bit of a challenge when you're talking about the fact that the character Bliss in this film, it's a very female character driven by female urgencies is not the right word but like female friendships is at the heart of the story her relationship to her mother her relationship to pash even i would say the relationship that bliss has with her father earl Mm -hmm. as 
a girl that he can be proud of. Like, I love the moment at the end of the film when Daniel Stern gets competitive with his neighbor and starts to nail in her roller derby sign as like, look at me, I'm a proud parent of an athlete. And it resonates because it's a teenage girl relationship. And that's why I think it's important to acknowledge that Bliss is a female character, even though she is being played by a male actor. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that the father-daughter dynamic happening between Earl and Bliss is really important as a diffuser to Mm -hmm. the more traditional mother-daughter conflict that we see with Bliss and Brooke. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you can't erase that that's what the film is intending to do. So this is our kind of way of approaching it that we think feels both the most equitable and the most fair to the piece of art that Elliot Page has created here. Mm -hmm. But, you know, by all means, if you've got thoughts or you want to share your own perspective on these things, by all means, let us know, because it's new for us and we're flailing through it gracefully (laughs) as always. Uh, The brave new world. Yeah. (sighs) Yep. Um, So I'm curious, what do you think about the extra attention given to Earl because one of the things that I was surprised about the film is that in a way even though I would argue that Marsha Gay Harden is a big star it feels like we lose some of Brooke so that we can give a little bit of extra attention to Earl one of the biggest distinctions I saw between the book and the film is that we actually get to see Earl make the decision that he would rather Bliss go to roller derby finals as opposed to compete in the pageant. And Brooke doesn't acquiesce willingly. She just kind of gives mm. up and then she comes around to it. Yeah, it's interesting because in many ways, the parental relationships are more significant and also have lower stakes because... right. Bliss is a lot less cruel to her parents in the Mm. film version than she is. You know, she runs away for a lot longer in the book than in the film. In the film, it seems like she's only gone maybe one night. Yes. Maybe a couple. It's not long. Whereas it's it's quite a protracted period of time that Maggie has to drive her back to Bodine for school um, in the book. And there's a phone confrontation in both texts. But in the book, Bliss says some kind of untake backable, unforgivable Ooh, things to her dad. Mean, 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 mean. <laughs> about, about him being sort of cowardly in the face of her mother. And, you know, one of the things that Earl says is like, yeah, I actually, I stay married to her after you leave. Like, <laughs> I'm, uh-huh. this is my life that I've chosen and you're putting me in a really difficult position. So they have this really like high stakes fight mm-hmm. that is very much toned down in the film. And yeah. so it's kind of fascinating because... The stakes of that make the the preceding scenes where Earl does come to Bliss's defense almost more more believable or more persuasive. Mm-hmm. But because we get more screen time for Earl in the film, the relationship seems closer. I don't right. know. I've been thinking about it a lot because there's there's a tension going on there. They have less to do, but do they do it better? Are they just right. very charming as actors so they engage us? I'm not sure. Okay, well, I'm glad you brought up that last part, because I also am not sure, but I do feel like one of the key assets of this film, because at the end of the day, I finished the film, I thought, this is nice. It's it's <laughs> warm, it's comforting. I can see why it's a fan favorite of a lot of girls, because it just is hitting that sweet spot. 
But I also don't think it's a particularly great film. Like, I actually yeah. don't think that Drew Barrymore does too, too much in terms of its visual style. Mm-hmm. And yet somehow I was really kind of chuffed at it. Like, when it finished, I was like, mm-hmm. this was fun. I'm glad I watched this. And I think it is that star power. There's so much charisma on screen. I think Elliot Page is the perfect example of that. Oh, my as God. Bliss. He is so good in this role. <laughs> It's like kind of the perfect encapsulation of who his almost like public facing persona is, right? It's that kind of like, Mm -hmm. I am very cool. I don't really care. But also I'm super vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, I said off the top that I find bliss in the book just kind of flat or boring. (laughs) Yes. It's like, okay, all these things are happening to you and I'm going to read about it, but you're pretty forgettable mm-hmm. there's nothing forgettable about elliot page as bliss it's a character no. that really sticks with you and i yep. think that it's the power of charm like it's the power <laughs> of seeing somebody really magnetic take on a role that is kind of forgettable otherwise mm-hmm. and i think that that is the case with a lot of these actors like everyone is clearly first of all having a really so good much time. fun yeah. so so much fun <laughs> And at least part of the charm of the film is just like, I don't know, for me, it's like my desire to go and hang out with these people on Mm -hmm. set. It looks like it was a blast. And that is a really, that's a pleasurable sensation to walk away from, right? Mm -hmm. Just like we, you know, talk about the idea that like podcasts are parasocial and it's like spending time with friends. This film Mm -hmm. feels like you just hung out with a bunch of people who really like each other and you were also there. (laughs) It's like, that's not a bad thing. Absolutely. I sort of teased it earlier when we were talking about the introduction of roller derby as a sport. I found it difficult to kind of engage with, okay, what are the rules? How does it actually work in practice? And the film is so dynamic and exciting. Like, I feel like we actually get more roller derby in the film. And Mm -hmm. there's even, you know, a brief montage where Razor explains this is how it works and we get to see the action in a split screen. It's probably Barrymore's most exciting directorial choice even though it's not completely unfamiliar we've seen this practice before but the roller derby scenes are so high octane and yeah it's still that charisma and that excitement and fun so like watching drew barrymore just get really angry and pummel people all the time (laughs) or watching juliette lewis scowling after elliot page there's there's just so much enjoyment to be had in these scenes it made me immediately want to seek out because i know that there is a toronto roller derby league and i was like oh i kind of want to go to games now yeah it does it makes you want to be part of the world there's no doubt about it as like i think part of that too is that the film does a much better job of explaining what roller derby is than Mm -hmm, the book mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like the book at no point explains the rules, which is fine. Because it's just it's basically like, like put on skates whatever. and go around a track. And you're like, isn't that okay. just what I did for birthday parties when I was seven years old? <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? It's like you don't. I mean, the book, the book is weirdly not that interested in the sport. It's interested <laughs> in what the sport offers bliss, right? Which is, you right. know, we've seen that a million times where, you know, when people complain that like, there's not enough coding in when Dimple met Rishi. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I don't need to see people code for 32 pages. <laughs> it's not helpful to me in any way. Sure. Um, so I get that choice. But I so love it when films find creative ways to explain boring things to me. Like mm-hmm. it's something I always enjoy. 
you know, there's that montage scene in Moneyball where they explain uh, like yes, how really recruitment works or whatever it is when you get new baseball players. Mm-hmm. I like learning, right? And right. like, there's something really compelling about creative directorial choices to do that work. And so, yeah, we've got this montage with Andrew Wilson's voiceover explaining specifically to Bliss, because the film is not afraid of saying, like, Bliss doesn't know what roller derby is, Mm -hmm. thankfully. Yeah, I'm here to audition. What are the rules? How do you play? (laughs) Exactly. And it's just, it's very creative. It's very clever. And it allows you to buy in 100% to the actual sports (laughs) sports <laughs> scenes mm-hmm. i guess you know because you know what's sports? happening yeah whereas in the book it's always just kind of like hand waved away yeah yeah very much so i think because the reality is that because film is a visual medium barrymore understands that we need to be able to follow the action because unless we just don't show the roller derby like it's you know unless we had bliss lace up her skates and then you know exhaustively pant off the track after the game and there's no in between as an audience we need a basic foundation of what the heck is going on because otherwise we're just going to be completely lost and that's not fun No, it's not. You know what movie also does this really well? Here's a Canadian deep dive for our listeners. Oh, God. Are Um, you going to do Men with Brooms? Yeah, I am. (laughs) Of course you would bring that up. (laughs) The Molly Parker voiceover where she explains the rules of curling is the first and last time I understood what was happening in curling. (laughs) Well, when slash if you ever come back to visit, you can come and see me play. How's that? I know. It still cracks me up that you play curling. Play curling? Is that what you say? (laughs) No, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, the listeners, (laughs) if you've never watched Men with Brooms, it's very charming. Uh, It's mostly charming. It's definitely not a movie about curling. We'll put it that way. (laughs) In, In much the way that Whip It at the end of the day is not a film about roller derby, but it does have a really good understanding of how to use roller derby to engage people and make the film feel exciting. Like, I can't often say that I get the sensations I get watching movies for the podcast, unless we're talking about a dystopian film, because we've got a lot of action sequences. But, you know, this at the end of the day, is still relatively character-driven. Yeah, there's a a fair amount of plot, but it's not an action spectacle. It's not dystopian. And yet I was still getting that adrenaline rush. Totally. I mean, it's it's very dynamic to watch and it has a really good effect on the viewer. It's the kind of movie that makes you wonder why there haven't been a thousand roller derby movies. (laughs) Right. You know? Yeah, it's a sport that seems made for watching, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. All right, well, shall we do some YA bingo with this? Let's do it. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay, what have you got? Well, can we call it stunt casting? Was it stunt casting in its moment? I feel like it was. I would say Marcia Gay Harden, at the very least, and to a lesser extent, Daniel Stern, because they're kind of gets. Well, here's the thing, because I think stunt casting, I think musicality, the film in particular... Mm -hmm. It's so, like, there are so many great montages in this movie. Yeah. You, could just, you could just make me a super cut of the montages and I'd watch it all day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And good friendships. Yes, right? yeah, for sure. So 
Do we have any queer secondary characters? Because that would be a line straight up. Well, I would say that there is a telling moment that is never unpacked between Eva Destruction, the Ari Grainer character, and Eve in the hot tub. Where it oh, very much right. seems like Eva Destruction is coming on to Eve's character. We get a line. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have to keep going. We can't just leave it at that. But yes. Okay. Well, definitely montage. There's, mm-hmm. as I've already said, lots of really great montages. And also hollow friendships and romances, particularly for the relationship with Oliver, who is like big John Ralphio moment here, the worst. Yeah, he totally sucks. Oh, he sucks so much. He's not even like pleasurable to hate. He's just, ugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I'm going to go with borrowed time because this is very much yeah. a, we are counting down to the beauty pageant slash it's only a matter of time until she gets discovered. That is honestly my least favorite moment in the book is when we have this like four paragraph explanation of why Bliss doesn't use a calendar. (laughs) And so we have her like missing a school deadline as a way of foreshadowing that she's going to mix up that the Derby and the beauty pageant are on the same day. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's so annoying. (laughs) It's just so tired. It's definitely one of the tropes that I would be very happy to just let go of. Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. about you, but the number of times that massive, like, world-changing events in my life line up on the exact same date, not actually that often. No, not as often as YA film would have you believe. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um... I don't know if we can count this as a road trip because really it's more like a commute. We're not (laughs) living for the trip in between destinations. It's really about, I need to get to Austin. I need to get back to Bodine. Yeah, I do like the use of the seniors bus. I think that's a good bit Mm -hmm. that then gets a bit overrun, but I don't think it's a road trip bit. Yeah, I definitely just kind of questioned the logistics over time where I was like, wait, this seniors bus happens to get her there on time and also delivers her back on time every week. Yeah, it's weird that Bingo and Roller Derby are on the exact same time slot close enough together so that this Mm -hmm. makes sense. But we just go with it. (laughs) We go with it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think apart from that, the book actually has a number of perfect dates before the relationship is revealed to be a giant sham, but there is some good stuff with Bliss and Oliver before everything falls apart. Agreed. Yep. Um, and then I guess the final one is aged up because we do go from college age to mature 30-something ladies in the film. I like that it actually does it, right? Like, Drew Barrymore is making this and she's putting all her friends in it and they're Mm -hmm. in their 30s and this is a movie about people in their 30s now. And it's like, it's not like they're not all pretending to be in their 20s. And I Mm -hmm. think that that is good. And as we've already talked about, I actually think it's a better choice. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense for the film and it allows a good cast. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, as you have already teased, that is in fact a line. Whoop, 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 whoop. Okay, so that's a wrap on Derby Girl slash Whip It. And Brenna, where are we headed next? So uh, speaking of female friendships, to the big max. smile on my face, to the max, we're going to talk about Lumberjanes next. Um, we're just going to look at the first three volumes, folks. There's 20 of them. You should read <laughs> all of them. But for next episode, you only need to look at the first three. 
Yeah, because it's a mini-zone. You don't need the whole run. <laughs> Although, spoiler alert, we both really enjoy this. We've talked about it before. This is comfort food. Totally. And we will revisit it probably in the future because it's so good. So yes. And the other thing is that you want to be prepping for our honestly going to be weird and great book club episode on go ask alice so Mm -hmm. make sure that you've got your thoughts in for that by may 19th correct yeah and if they wanted to send them in to us how would they do so Oh, anything long form should come in to our email, hkhspod at gmail.com. If you've got something shorter, you can send it to us on Twitter at hkhspod or on the hashtag hkhspod. Joe, where do they find you to share love of this extra Wilson we just found out about? (laughs) Wow, I don't even get, oh, if I want a date to go to the Toronto Roller Derby. Okay. okay. Nope. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. (laughs) I can be reached at Beast of My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And uh, yeah, go go watch Whip It. You won't regret it. Good fun. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, a nice breeze. I'm not going to pretend it's a short film, but no. it's an enjoyable film. Totally. Yeah. So until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Yeah, it really does. And then we're meant to feel a source of anxiety. Nope. Uh, finally, for this cast of uh, Hurl 